Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks and their customers. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures, banktechventures.com. Super excited to have Jason Ye on the podcast today. We've been talking about doing this for quite a while, Jason, and glad <laughs> right. we could finally get our schedules aligned. Um, you've done so many cool things. We'll get a chance to talk about a lot of that today. But just as a quick intro, he was super early at uh, MLB Advanced Media, or often referred to as MLBAM for, for many of us. Uh, and that was like 15 years ago, which is amazing to look back and remember that it was started that that long ago. Uh, he was both an investor and an entrepreneur in residence at Graycroft, which is a great storied venture firm. He's been a founder multiple times himself, now works with many others as he as he can at his current platform called Adamant. We'll talk a lot about that today, as well as really the current fundraising environment. Uh, he also puts out awesome content. He's on active on social media. He has his podcast called Funded, as well as his weekly newsletter called Fundraising Field Notes. If you're a founder, you should absolutely be following Jason and all he's doing. Jason, thanks for joining me on the show today. Gary, I uh, appreciate this. And again, sorry about the schedules, but uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. Well, you've been globetrotting and we'll talk a little bit <laughs> uh, about that as well. I love the description that you use for Adamant. You say, we believe that preparing to fundraise is all about making your company the best it can be and helping investors discover how great you actually are. Give me a couple, what, like, what do you think a couple of the common ways founders don't do that well? They don't showcase their greatness. Yeah, I think, especially first-time founders, um, there's a uh, misunderstanding of what the fundraising process is for an early stage company. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you'll see them go very deep into details that are estimates or, or can't be extrapolated to infinity. And they glaze over some of the more important parts about who they are and why they're working on their business. Um, and so one of the things that uh, I'll often spend a lot of time on is making sure that a founder is able to communicate why they are a great person to be running this business, either mm. because of the things they've done in the past, successes and failures, deep insights. Um, but the, a lot of times you'll see founders just rush into like, well, this is the business I'm running. Here's the product and how I do things. Mm -hmm. And I think the takeaway from all of this is that really, um, especially at the earliest stages, and this is a cliche, but you have to hear it as many times as you can before it really sets in that venture capitalists are betting on the founder because they mm -hmm. know that 99 times out of 100, whatever you're telling me, Carrie, about your business today is not going to be the thing that is huge. And if it, if we're not actually betting on what it is today, all we're betting on is that um, the person running the ship will be able to like navigate the waters and really grow it to the, to the potential that it has. Mm -hmm. 
So if, if I go a little deeper into that, would you say that too often they're focused on the certainty of what they have in front of them right now, even though it's highly uncertain? Yeah. I mean, the it's like a misconception that they have or the yes. perceived certainty of what they have today versus what it probably will be or versus what their their background allows them to sure. rely on in order to get to the promised land. Yeah. So. How, what, how do you think about helping them on what I would call the the separating the the solution, right? It, it, we've identified a market problem, our solution to it, and the investment story of them growing a business around that solution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, initial conversations, sometimes I'll have, some, sometimes I'll run people through an exercise of like the mm -hmm. five whys where mm -hmm. I ask them why they're doing the business. And the, the first answer, the first why will be, uh, a very manicured answer of like, well, you know, there's a huge opportunity within community banks. All the community banks are under, uh, have lower levels of technology than 90% of, um, scaled organizations out there. Mm -hmm. And so it represents a multi-billion dollar opportunity. And I'll be like, Oh, awesome. Well, so why is that important? You know, and I'll ask sure. why and why until we get to like, well, why are you, why are you even working on this? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you working on this? Why is this important yes. to you? Um, and I think a lot of that helps uncover motivations. It, it uncovers unique skill sets or unique insights, why they are like a very particular person to be running this business. And mm -hmm. you know, these are some, I think these are some things that if you Google or follow on Twitter, you'll see people like, um, you know, why are you special or why are you the important person to be running this particular business? And you can read that in a tweet and not really understand how important it is to, to have that connection and how important it is for a venture capitalist to see that why before they decide to bet on you at the earliest stages. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I'm, I'm shocked at times when I ask the question of, of all the things in the world that you could be working on right now, why this? Yeah, yeah. And how oftentimes people have not thought about an answer to that. And, and if it's really that key and it's like, if you are to your point, you're betting on their grit and determination to succeed no matter what. Yeah. You feel like they need to have that fairly clear in their mind. And and it's, it's funny. It's like, uh, not only will, so sometimes you'll run into a founder where you ask a question like that and they won't have the answer. And you know why they don't have the answer, Carrie? It's because they really are doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. They probably shouldn't be running this business and it's probably not going to be a venture backable. Sorry, sure. maybe they'll muscle into a small business, but not the type of return that you would want or I would want as an, mm -hmm. as an investor. Then there are the types of founders that just like, they just don't realize that they should share some of the things that yes. they've gone through. That's right. Um, I, I had two stories come to mind um, that I should share. One is, I was talking to this founder um, and we were just trying to understand how he would pitch his business and had multiple meetings um, before I found out that he had bootstrapped his last business to a nine figure exit. Wow. And I was like, Thomas, uh, don't you think that's something that's kind <laughs> it's of important? Pretty relevant. Yes. Yeah. Pretty relevant. And he was like, oh, well, and he's like this, he's, he's European. And he was like, well, uh, I don't know. That comes off a little bit of you know, like I'm bragging and I don't want to, I don't want that perception of me. Like, Jesus. And he's like, and it came out later that he had, he had dropped out of high uh, college or he had, yeah, he had either not gone to college or dropped out of college. I think he mm -hmm. dropped out of college. And I was like, Thomas, like, 
how did I not hear about this? Uh, and he's like, wow, I, I've, I've always been embarrassed that I dropped, I didn't finish college. I'm like, it's a badge of honor, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a badge of honor, like showing like that you got to work and wanted to learn by doing, and you've been learning by doing your whole life. Like, that's right. And so he was just like, well, I didn't really understand, like, that's what I should do. And now this company is, you know, raised a bunch of money. It's this next company is very exciting. Um, company called Mutual, very cool company. Um, hmm. And then uh, a Southern California one, um, Compliant. I don't know if you've seen that. It's in the kind of in the financial, um, like small business financial planning and tax planning space. Um, but the founder, Shiloh Johnson, mm. told me a little bit yes, about I've her story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the first few times, um, it was again, like all the features, all the specific things that small businesses, what the problems they have. Um, in keeping track of their taxes and the regulations that they need to, the paperwork that they need to file. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then you find out like, you know, she had um, worked like three jobs in order to like sustain her family, put herself through graduate school. Uh, and then you know, became a big company tax preparer and then started her own company. And like this whole winding road of, the hard work she put in early on, her deep expertise, like all this stuff just wasn't coming out right away. I'm like, Shiloh, this is like everything an investor wants to know. So mm -hmm. um, I just, I think people need to hear a little bit more about why investors look for these things and just internalize how important it is for them to have that connection and then share it in an organic way. Absolutely. Uh, it's, those are great, great examples. Well, let, let's, pivot a little bit because I would guess right now the demand for what you do to help founders like you just described has to be growing um, partly because of what's happened in the market right is yeah. we've seen the peak of venture capital all time that I think most people would say was probably almost exactly a year ago yep. and the world's a lot different now than it was and look we've been at this for a while so it's not a shock i was saying to someone earlier i think it got people even to a point of just laziness and sloppiness over the 100%. last few years and so i don't think it's everything's going to go away because innovation's not going to stop but what are you saying differently to founders now than what you were even a year ago yeah i mean look i've been advising startups in some form or fashion, either as a venture capitalist or just mm -hmm. an informal advisor for the last 10 plus years. And, um, you know, once I got enough experience under my belt, um, I really felt for a number of years that I was like a seer, like I <laughs> could see the future. Mm -hmm. A founder would come to me and they'd be like, this is happening. And I would go say these exact words, say mm -hmm. A, B, and C, Say that to the, or send that to the venture capitalists. They will likely come back like this, and you'll be able to, you know, land here. Or you want to do these things, and it was like a fun game, you know, because sure. you can do you can do the same thing. You've been on the same, you know, both sides of the table, and you know, gives you insights. And every time it would happen, a founder would come back to me, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, it happened! The thing that you said <laughs> happened, happened." And I bring this up because in the run up of late 2020 and all of 2021, things would be happening. And I would be like, I don't understand what's, I, I can't mm -hmm. predict what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, 
venture capitalists are acting irrationally. And when people act irrationally, like I can't predict what's sure. happening. Sure. Um, and so it was as actually a, a year of, of me being a little bit unsure of myself. And so what am I telling founders today? Well, it's actually coming back to the sort of rational behavior that, or I think it's moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so I think there, there are a few things that people need to understand, especially the founders that the only exposure to the market they've had has been between 2020 and 2022. Um, uh, we talk about timelines, um, the expectation of actual diligence. Um, I had so many stories of founders who would go out on a Friday and like certainly a lot that would close in a week, some that would have like signed term sheets over the weekend. And that just isn't the case anymore. I think mm -hmm. what founders need to realize is that investors are back in this place where um, the power dynamic has shifted back at least to the middle, if not yes. onto mm -hmm. the side of investors. Whereas for two, three years, um, it was significantly on the side of founders. And so mm -hmm. um, with just that realization of that new dynamic, um, people should understand what their approach to communications should be, what their approach to preparing for a fundraise should be. And so that means um, creating touch points with investors early on. That means mm -hmm. making sure that they have an opportunity to understand what the market is, who they are, gain comfort and excitement before a deal gets done. And so, you know, back to budgeting a couple months for a fundraise, not a couple weeks mm -hmm. is right. And, and if you want to be really safe to understand what is possible or what could actually happen, you know, it's like two to six months. So I, I want founders, the best founders will be able to start preparing their fundraise with six months of runway so that they can be in control. Yeah, great. Great points. I mean, in many respects, it's kind of back to basics of what. Yeah. And, and I, 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 we tried our best as we were getting things off the ground to to not deviate. And you know, one of the things I I've just tried to really push myself on is not to suffer from FOMO, yeah. because I feel like that just if you can manage that, you can often peel back and go, okay, is there something real here? that you just do do the work and you're going to at least have a chance yeah. that this might be successful. So that's that's great advice, a lot of those. How are you thinking about, you know, there's definitely at least some amount of hope hanging out there amongst founders that they're over 200 billion, you know, some show as high as 290, I think, billion I've seen of committed capital into all these venture funds. And so yep. some people are pointing to that saying, that's been committed, that's going to get invested, they're going to have to have a place to put it. So will things really continue to stay on the investor side? Do we reach some kind of equilibrium? Does it swing back? You know, so how do you think about that at this point? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had this conversation with a lot of different people. And if mm -hmm. you spend time in investor Twitter, which I'm sure I know you do as as well as as, as I do, um, you will see equally credible people taking positions on why it'll be one way or the exact opposite way. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. the real answer is you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. And I had, I wasn't investing um, back in 2000. Um, but I heard there was this similar dynamic in 2000 where there was a lot of overhang of, of, of dry powder. And 
what this one investor told me was back then, everyone said that it has to get deployed. And he said it didn't get deployed. It mm -hmm. ended up not getting all deployed. I don't think even everybody fulfilled their commitments. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is what some people are prognosticating will happen from some of the institutions where they're just going to potentially default on some of these and suffer the yeah. consequences. Yeah, and, those, and people don't know the dynamics of those consequences, but mm -hmm. they lose out on all their carry if they don't. You know, it's like, uh, it's pretty severe. So it's crazy to think what might actually happen here are a couple of things that I think I'll just do my little prediction. Um, I think the market is very different than it was in 2000 in a variety of different ways. Like a lot of uh, some of the capital is, is deployed to like crazy first time found the first time fund managers, mm. people that are much, not necessarily like worse, but younger and less experienced. Um, I think there'll be way more, I think there will be way more pressure for them to deploy. And so um, much more of it is going to have to, is going to find a home, I, I mm -hmm. think, like then mm -hmm. what happened in 2000. Um, what I, I think is going to, ha I, I tend to think that valuations across the board, or at least with 80% of companies are going to come down significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what I'm seeing, or what I'm like starting to see is a barbell effect where like the bottom 80%, like those valuations are, are low. But the top founders, the ones that have uh, five to 10 years of relationship building and deep expertise in an industry, repeat founders, those guys will have, those guys and gals will have um, access to much easier capital than other people. It means that they will be able to raise at higher valuations. I hope for the industry's sake that they are a little bit more responsible with how high of a valuation mm -hmm. they they end up committing to, um, but I do think this we will see a barbelling, sure. um, and so the, the the capital will get deployed. Some companies will be overcapitalized, uh, but operationally, I think because of this last wave, people may be a little bit smarter about how um, they operate with more capital and high valuations. Sure, yeah, I think all all those totally make sense to me. Well, I, I, I tease this at the uh, intro. You know, you've been out uh, spending a lot of time internationally uh, over uh, the last couple of years, I think, uh, yeah. especially. And we've seen a ton of growth in that last two years. The amount of money going into other parts of the world is just amazing and pretty yeah. exciting, actually, to see. I guess you know what what did you experience that really excited you to keep traveling like that? And then what do you think this current environment does to that? Yeah. So um, I've had a lot of exposure interna internationally, just uh, ability to travel. Um, in particular, in South America, I have a part of my family who's South American. So mm -hmm. uh, we have a diaspora of Taiwanese uh, immigrants around the world. And a portion of my family ended up in South America. So I have family. Very in cool. South America and Mexico. Um, and then while I was in business school, I made a trip to Brazil with my best friend from business school. We had a great time. We uh, were so totally enthralled by um, the culture and the experience down in Brazil. Mm -hmm. There was a plan for us both to, to move to Brazil straight out of business school in 2012 and start two separate companies. Long story short, I took a job at Graycroft uh, and my friend Parker Tracy started um, just moved to Brazil with the intention of building a big company. 
and fast forward 10 years later, he hasn't left Brazil, is deeply fluent in Portuguese um, and runs a really big business called Cobley, which is SoftBank back down there. And so over this last 10 years, I was down for the World Cup. I was down for birthdays. I was down for engagements and mm -hmm. started meeting all the players in the Brazilian market. Uh, other entrepreneurs, other investors, and over the last two years have become a little bit more deliberate about building community down there, supporting founders down there. And in terms of what I've seen, it's it's been crazy over the last two years. I think a lot of things have, um, it's been a confluence of a lot of things that have created a market that is really exciting. I think remote work because of COVID and remote mm -hmm. access to geographies has changed an investing game in terms of, you know, obviously in the United States, being able to invest in different states, not just San Francisco, New York, LA, mm -hmm. uh, but now really being able to meet founders over Zoom in different countries. So that's changed things. Uh, and then a few scaled startups, Nubank, Rappi, um, mm -hmm. a lot of big players have now started to show scale and real abilities to create um, real revenue. And so I'll say um, you go down there, especially Brazil, where I've spent a lot of time recently, and the sophistication is way higher than um, you might expect if you've never been down there. A lot of the major venture capital um, funds, Canary, Kazakh, um, they have relationships with big venture capital firms in the United States. So there's a lot of knowledge sharing. There's a lot of support mm -hmm. there. And then the excitement within the uh, founder and entrepreneurial community in Brazil is is palpable. So I'll, yeah, you know, if you do an event in San Francisco, LA, New York, and it's around startups and networking or an expert talking about whatever, it's like hummed and hot at mm -hmm. in San Francisco. You see those three to three to five times a week. And it's like, if I don't go to this one, I'll go to the next one or the next one or the next one. If I go down and and host an event, those things will sell out in a day. And mm. you get there and everyone is not only so excited that someone is there to share a little bit of knowledge and everyone is, is absorbing that they're so excited to meet other founders. They just, mm. they want to continue to support each other and meet other people. It just is in such a burgeoning point of the life cycle of a startup ecosystem that I can't not be excited by mm -hmm. um, geographies like that. And I do think that, you know, wealth in those um, areas of the world is growing. And, you know, a friend of mine talked about it, like, Right now is the perfect time and place where there's infrastructure, there's money, there's technology, um, but the scaled business plays haven't been done yet in Brazil. So like literally you can just look at TechCrunch or any blog and be like, oh, that business is doing well. Like that's the playbook that I'm going to run mm -hmm. in Brazil. And you're seeing that over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's happened in prior eras as well. And so yeah. it's not, yeah, it's it's not an uncommon approach and and hopefully that does continue because i think it collectively raises the capability globally which is yeah. exciting right this shouldn't be a, a zero-sum opportunity i think that's right so let's talk you know a little bit uh timing wise you know we were you were talking about year 2000 you know there were some great companies that came out in 2001 2002 post dot com crash we've seen a you know a new era of companies in the uh, aftermath of the great financial crisis get started uh, it's it's fascinating right now because you feel like everybody is predicting a recession and i always struggle with this idea of if everybody knows it's coming 
then can't we all just prepare for it? And yeah. it won't be as, as bad. Although I, I think it's probably going to be worse than what we're all forecasting. But generally, I think venture folks know that some great companies come out of eras like this. And you know, you add to that the fact that a lot of public companies or late stage private companies are way less valuable on paper than they used to be. So you have all this talent that is in there that maybe has underwater or much less valuable yeah. equity. Do you think we're going to see more of them start to opt out and turn and say the the relative opportunity cost isn't as high? Let's let me go start a company. I, I think so. I mean the the elements at play here all point to that, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. It has never been cooler or sexier, I think, to be a startup founder, right? Like everything from the media to the different industries that are being transformed. I mean, everyone thinks about being a founder. I, I mean, obviously I'm in a bubble, but like, mm -hmm. I think everyone is aware of that opportunity. And then add on to that, you, know, you look back at what technologies have been developed in uh, since the last recession, like 15, 14, 15 years ago, 2007, mm -hmm. 2008, we, you know, uh, iPhone, mo mobile phones, um, AWS had just launched like yep. real infrastructure, no code, all these things that actually make building real technology businesses incredibly inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the platforms for distribution, um, in many ways is way, way, way easier to start solving problems and start serving people than it was, um, at the last recession when we did see so much of a, a rush to build and build great companies. So um, yep. very, very, um, I, have, I have great positive outlooks on, on what that is. I'm optimistic in the future of the startup market and the investing opportunities that come out of that. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I think, you know, what, what I hear you speaking to too, which I totally buy into is this idea of that, that, you know, a lot of founders are capable now to not you don't have to truly be a tech founder if you're a really good integrator of uh, a bunch of capabilities but you have a great eye to high value problems that still need to get solved or solved better right even yeah. you know i've been in software for the better part of 25 years and i look back at a lot of my early companies and go those were not very intelligent companies <laughs> we were just automating workflow yeah. which was useful but actually creating true intelligent closed loop software. And there's still a lot of that sitting out in the world that's not that. And all yeah. of that should get upgraded. Yep, so yep. yeah, and, and doesn't have to all be written from scratch with new code either. That's right. So you've you've done a lot. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing a lot at Adam and across a number of stages. So what when you think about the stage of company that you love to to work with through adamant what what stage is is sort of your favorite yeah i mean i i i really like all startups i think i mean this is like a who's your favorite child kind of thing yeah, right? yeah, yeah. um i do really like all stage of entrepreneurship i think they're all fascinating but given my own personal experiences um starting companies and honestly failing like failing and seeing the mistakes that I made. Um, I have a really, really soft space in my heart for mm -hmm. people that are pursuing product market fit. So everything before product market fit. Um, and that is, 
hopefully like there's just more and more of that type of founder that keeps starting. But yeah, I love talking to founders. I love making sure that they understand what it takes. I mm. like making, honestly, I also like making sure that founders are doing it for the right reasons. I always say like, sometimes I'll run programs and founders are, will join. Um, and the outcome will be that they're like, I don't think I should do this. And I'm like, that is a huge success. Yes, for sure. Success. I, you know, I'd look back on some of my startups and how like I shouldn't have been doing them. Mm. I shouldn't have done the company in the first place. Um, And I wish I had had somebody or something help me think through that so that you find the thing that you should do. You know, Mm -hmm. like I, I love entrepreneurship. I love win, lose, or draw. I always say it's like, the best thing that could happen to people in terms of learning. Yes. Um, but you might as well take it. You, you might as well take your swing. You might as well take your shot uh, in a space that makes sense for you. And so I think a lot of people can be confused at the ideation phase and the pre-seed phase of why they're doing things because of, you know, I saw my buddy Carrie mm-hmm. just kill it and I, I should be doing this or I come from this background and I worked at the, this big startup and everyone's talking about I should do it and I'm just going to rush in and do it. If I can help people direct that energy um, and help, you know, pull out their story of what they should be working on, that's like a very, very um, um, worthwhile feeling to have. Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, just being able to be that sort of lens or mirror to help them. Um, and sometimes it is a totally different direction. Sometimes it's just maybe a slight altering of their direction. That's yeah. That's maybe what what's required. That, that's that's awesome. So as you think about yourself as a builder, operator, what what do you think of as your favorite stage or or spot to to get involved there? Um, as a builder, um, I. I like, and this is all very biased because of what I'm what I'm experiencing. I like seeing the initial indications of product market fit. Hmm. Um, I like when I when we have clear vision around a customer and a customer problem, because I tend to be pretty good at, um, at promoting a space and promoting an idea and getting feedback from customers mm-hmm. and 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 if I can. You know, I think I haven't had as much opportunity to, to scale once I've to efficiently scale. So I can't say that I'm amazing at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we start seeing indications of customers leaning in, then um, I'm pretty good at um, deconstructing that and um, helping the company lean into that and promote it and finding more uh, of that type of customer. Um, so yeah, that's if, if it's not exactly a definition of stage, but the mm-hmm. type of work that I like doing. Okay. What's the best job you've ever had? Um, I, this is going to sound so cheesy. I, I'll have two answers. Uh, I mean, really what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. it's like really felt like I um, stumbled into my zone of genius, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like, all the stuff that we work on is super fascinating to me. I enjoy helping people. It turns out I enjoy teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everything from learning how to do media uh, to weird marketing uh, strategies, things that I don't know well, it's just like, I really enjoy love uh, working through all of that. So that's my like, maybe a little bit cringy, obvious answer of like what I'm doing now. It's definitely my favorite job. Um, but if I had to give another answer, it might've been my second job. 
ever, which was, uh, a, I was a pizza delivery guy mm. at Pizza Hut. It's just a great so job. Such a great job, you know, like bringing joy to people, right? Bring exactly as a common theme. <laughs> no, I mean, it was like, uh, you had, um, you didn't, you were kind of like a server, right? You were kind of like mm -hmm. a, a mm -hmm. waiter, but you didn't get paid the lower waiter wage. I got full minimum wage or maybe more plus tips. Uh, at the end of the day, I could take pizzas back like to my buddy's house mm -hmm. and hang out with mm -hmm. pizza. It was, it was, I felt like I was making a ton of money. It was, uh, it was a good job. That's so awesome. maybe my second best job. That's awesome. Well, you, you were just talking a little bit about, you know, figuring out all this media and, you know, I mentioned earlier, you, you do a lot of content across a lot of different channels. Where, where do you feel like you get your inspiration for that? I don't know, I'm really pulling back the curtain here and, and, uh, and un unearthing my uh, my secret sauce. Um, you know, it's 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 honestly this business or this content business that I'm running is a little bit of a there's like a cheat code associated with it. Where is I'll talk to founders and I'll talk to founders and help them, and then you know a founder will say I have this problem, and I'll just react. I'm like, this is how you should do it, and then I write about it. Sure. And then it's a, it's a, it's a flywheel where mm -hmm. I write about it. And then another founder finds out and then somehow gets connected to me. And we talk about a problem I'm like, Oh, this is how I think about it. And then I write about that. Um, Did you just know seen, that going in? Like, has that no, been sort of not. a surprise? That's been sort of the surprise. Maybe you didn't expect. Yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. um, every part of my business supports every other part of my business right now in some weird synergistic way. Like, Sometimes I'll be like, ah, I don't know if I should do this one thing. It's going to be, it's going to take up a lot of my time, but then it mm -hmm. creates a ton of content. Um, so yeah, everything about this business has been not been pre-planned. It's been um, addressing opportunity. That's a half a step in front of me and then continuing mm -hmm. to pull on the thread, following things that I really enjoy doing and that are really impactful for people. And the combination of those two has just kind of led to building a pretty, pretty great business that uh, I really enjoy running amazing so i saw you're on the technology advisory board at delta airlines super fascinating <laughs> how did that happen yeah uh they started the technology advisory board which has been a little bit on pause uh, because of the pandemic stuff mm -hmm. but um about six or seven years ago and there was this attempt to say like delta needs more access to minds within the newest technology spaces so that we can mm -hmm. understand how to better serve our customers with that sort of lens. And uh, I'll, I'll tell the story quickly, but um, at the time I was a venture capitalist at Graycroft mm -hmm. and um, you know, there are all these corporate, there's always corporate events that VCs will get invited to. And a lot of times it'll be sponsored by banks or big companies or big law firms. And, and they'll, they'll invite people to sporting events. And um, I'm actually I'm a huge sports fan. As, as you said, I, I used to work at Major League Baseball, okay. MLB.com. Um, and uh, they were inviting everyone to a Lakers game. And I'm a huge basketball fan. But mm. I like basketball so much that I just don't like going to basketball games in the boxes because in the luxury boxes, I know, boo-hoo, <laughs> you're, you're so far away. You actually mm -hmm. can't watch the game. And so I'm like, oh, I got to go for work. I got to meet these people. And the, um, the story behind it is that I was like, I'm going to stay for like one quarter, say mm -hmm. hi to people and bounce. 
And I'm going through the motions of saying everyone um, and uh, saying hi to everyone. And as I'm leaving, like the SVP of Delta, who I didn't know at the time, was great, this great guy, Ron John, stops me. He's like, hey, I'm Ron John. Um, how's everything going? Are you, are you enjoying it? I'm like, hi. Yeah, this is great. And I'm about to say, I unfortunately have to go. <laughs> and Ron John goes, yeah, I'm, the the, uh, the turnout has been awesome. Um, and I'm so excited for the surprise after the game. And I was like, surprise? What's the surprise? He's like, oh, well, we're going down on the court. We'll, we'll, they're going to take us down on the court. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I ended up... <laughs> end up staying they not only take us down to the court to walk around at, at the time staples center but they roll out racks of basketballs and they're like everyone shoot around go for it yeah. yeah uh they brought out a current player at the time jody meeks this guy used to mm. play for kentucky mm-hmm. uh so we're playing ball with him anyways at the end of it they were like i had been talking to people and playing basketball and they were like hey like we're, we've been looking for you know, a younger vc to join this board um that we're putting together and so i got the invitation and it was, it's been one of the coolest things that i've been a part of and by no like real like virtue of me being the perfect person for this board but just right place right time mm-hmm. as is the case with a lot of things in life yes that's that's a great story well, we were talking a little bit before, you know, and I think this this is a, a good intersection. I mean, obviously, airlines been around for a long time. Delta's been around for a long time. You know, most of us from the outside would view that as a fairly stodgy, conservative business and industry. I'm doing things in traditional banks that also tend to be conservative. So, you know, what things are you seeing that are helping them push more innovation forward faster? Yeah, honestly, I, I think things like this advisory board, um, which I would simplify or summarize as finding people within the deeper organization, the old organization, mm-hmm. who think this way and be, can be champions for innovative thinking. Uh, and if there, if these champions have the ear of of management or decision makers, that person can really start easing at least exposure. Mm-hmm. to innovation and new ways of thinking. I think if it like without that champion or without that internal person that can really bring these um, these issues up to, to the larger executive team, any opportunity to like push innovation through like a small like product manager or mm-hmm. like an individual person will just die. So if I were to, I meant for bank tech ventures and, and all the stuff that you do, um, it really is all about like, can you help these organizations um, empower a champion internally um, that can be the person people trust that has the eye on what new technologies would be helpful with, while also understanding there's a core business mm-hmm. that we need to keep our eye on that, you know, that we don't want to rock the boat too much. So it's that balance. But if you can find a champion internally, that's one of the best strategies, I think, for uh, these stodgier industries. Great insight. All right, we're running out of time, my friend, which I'm bummed about, but I'm going to give you one more question. So prospective founder, you know, if we we talked earlier, you know, some of these folks, maybe they're thinking about making the jump out. They want to, yeah. but they're going, you know what? I want to make sure I've got a fundable idea. What advice do you have for prospective founders on sort of testing that and saying, do I have something that people would get behind me to fund helping me go build it? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, like, I just want people to make sure that there are fundable ideas that are 
not necessarily fundable venture backable ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love all businesses. So sure. I think the best thing anyone can do is start talking to my customers. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a cliche everyone is going to tell you, but like find whatever you can launch that gives you a great excuse to talk to customers. Mm-hmm. For some people that don't have a sales background, that might mean you have to build a little product in order mm-hmm. to give yourself the confidence or the excuse to talk to customers. Other founders who have more of an outgoing personality and sales background, you can talk to customers immediately. And so, yeah, I mean, you'll hear this advice over and over again because it is the right advice, but um, the best thing you can do is talk to customers and identify and validate whether or not the problem that you identify um, is actually a real one. Mm. Jason, thank you. That's great advice. Um, Super fun conversation. So much good stuff in there. Uh, and and also, I mean, thank you for helping all the founders you do. I mean, we both have big hearts for them. And I think mm-hmm. such respect for people willing to go do it and put it on the line and um, be responsible for themselves and others uh, to go advance a new idea. I, I think you, you clearly have such a big heart for that. Uh, I, I know we're going to have a lot more to collaborate on. And so I look forward <laughs> to that. Um, let's Let's definitely talk again soon. Awesome. Carrie, thanks so much for the time. This has been a fun conversation and we'll have to have you over on to the friends and family round, which is one of our pods uh, at Funded. Sounds great. Love it. All right. See you, man. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.